Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with every one of you this day. I want to share with you something more on the glory of God. And thank you for your emails. Apparently that helped a lot of people to understand that. Well, let's understand it a bit more. And let's go to the very beginning, Genesis and chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, which of course is the story of creation, covers the whole of creation. And then in verse 31, then, this was after mankind has been created, and it says, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it or set it apart, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Okay, uh, let, let hold that in mind. We'll be there in a minute. But the longing call of God, uh, I, I don't know how to say that more strongly. The words used, especially in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, they, they describe the intense emotion, longing, cry that we human beings should enter into God's rest. And with, with that in mind, as you then begin to read through the scripture, you indeed realize that our entering into God's rest is... <laughs> That, that, that's the yearning of God. It's what we were created to do. It's the meaning of life and so on. And so I, I want to look at it a little more intently than we might have done in the past when we just made reference. And so we enter into his rest. That, that's what I'm looking at. So we read there that final verse of Genesis 1. And... God has made everything, uh, everything on, on the face of the planet, every blade of grass, every tree, every leaf, every rock, every animal, every bird, every insect, and crowning the whole creation is humankind, you and I. We, we, we are what it's all about. You could say the first five and a half days of creation ending with the creating or making of the great uh, 
apes, the, the, the monkey family, the, the great primates, the, the great animals. And that, that ends on the morning of the sixth day. And then there, there is that space. It says that this is different. There's a pause. And it refers to what one might almost call um, a, a meeting within the Holy Trinity. And there in Genesis 1 even, it says that God said, God within his triune self, he said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And so in the afternoon of the sixth day of creation, mankind is made. And then he looks, he surveys all that he has made, not only on this planet, but also the vast reaches of space. And, and looking at it, he pronounced it very good. Please, please hear that. He's been saying all the way through, as he created piece by piece, he said it was good. But now as he surveys the entire creation, he, he states in his estimation, in the eyes of him who is perfect, the, the one who is final wisdom, final power, who is love and created in order to express his love, this one said, everything that he has made was very good, very good. Okay, uh, so I might say here before we get to it actually, but just so you don't start having problems before we begin, when it says God rested, uh, it doesn't mean he was exhausted and slumped into a chair and says, that's over. No, the word rest is more to be understood as that of an artist, an artist that having put the last brush stroke upon the painting knows that nothing, nothing, nothing can be added to it. It is, that's it. It's, it's done, done. Another brush stroke would be an insult. No, this is it. This is it. He's captured what he wants to. And until that last brush was, was made, it wasn't done. But now it's done. And, and with a tremendous surge of energy, of delight and satisfaction, the artist contemplates his work and says, it's finished. It's done. I rest. I'm not going to add any more. I'm not going to take any away. This is exactly what was inside of me when I started to put it out on canvas. And you could say the same of a woodworker. You could say that of a metal worker, a sculptor. When a person writes a book, there's, you know, when I, when I wrote my first book, I wrote it nearly 30 times in longhand. And and every time they put this out, put that in, take this out, read the thing again and say, no, take that out. But there came the day when I said, that's it. This is saying what my heart was saying. And it's now out there. And I can't add anything to it. That would take another book. And I certainly can't take anything from it. This is it. 
and I contemplated the manuscript with satisfaction. That's the God saw all that he had made. He looked at every detail of his creation culminating in humankind, you and I, and he said, it is very good. Now, this word good, what, what do you understand by that, this word good? Well, um, the word is used multiple times in the scripture and, and in different contexts, which means different facets of the word come up all through scripture. So just let me give you the broad, I'll throw all those facets in. You'll get the picture then of what this word means. It means, and, and not necessarily first in, in order, just I'm putting it first. It means beautiful, good. The word in scripture, the Hebrew word, one of the facets of its meaning, it means beautiful. When God saw his handiwork, he said, beautiful. That, that is every shape, every form. It can't be any better. This is excellence. This is, which would be another word translating good, excellence. It means the best, the best possible. It also means bountiful. There's no lack there's no poverty here. Uh, it, it's bountiful. It's, it's abounding. Good. The, the word means, again, it, it means that what you're looking at and you're saying it's good, it, it, it is making one joyful. Good means that it's attended by happiness. It's attended by delight. I, I can't say a thing is good unless something rises within me that suggests happiness and joyfulness, delighting, good. It, it means something to be valued. The person who has this is, in, in a very deep sense of the word, prosperous. It's good. God, Creator, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, contemplated creation with us as the head of that creation and said, it is good. He looked at mankind as he looked at a sparrow, as he looked at the elephant and he said, it's good. It is good. It is very good. It's intensely good. The fact is, only God is ultimately good. God is good. And, and therefore, you might say the word good is the umbrella word um, that, that picks up all the facets of his love. And when this God looked at the work of his hand and said it is good, he was saying every facet of this, every piece of dirt, every grass, every eagle, every grasshopper, and supremely mankind reflect who I am. They reflect my goodness. It's good because the good one made it and his fingerprints are all over the place. 
That, that's why Romans 1 says that the person who says there is no God is blind as a bat. His fingerprints are everywhere. Even the FBI do better with investigation than the atheist. Well, you look at creation, you, you see this is something that is infinitely beyond the capability of the human and, and infinitely beyond the possibility of chance, good grief. No, his whole creation reflects the wisdom of God. And, and not just wisdom, but the perfect wisdom. You stand back and say, it's incredible how all this fits together. Of course, some people have lived here right on this planet filled with revelations of goodness and they're so absorbed with their own belly button that they've never looked at it and and they yawn but really we're living in the middle of miracles we're and of course yourself yourself how the organs of your body they all function together god said it was good it's perfect, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, and it manifests. When I look at creation, I see a God who is love, a God who is wise, a God who is all-powerful, and uses that power within the confines of his love. Good. Now, I want to expand on, on this, this idea of goodness. Let, let me read from Exodus in chapter 33. And it's Moses, Moses on the mount. It was at the time when he received the Ten Commandments. And he'd been there in the presence of God. And, and he, he has a thirst after God that, that cannot be slaked. And in verse 18 of Exodus 33, he blurts it out. He, he, he expresses his heart. And he says to the Lord, please... Show me your glory. And then the Lord said, I will. I will make all my goodness pass before you. Do, do you hear? Moses said, show me your glory. The Lord said, I will. I will make my goodness pass before you. Meaning that the glory of God is to be found in contemplating his goodness, and the goodness of God is his glory. And when that happened, when, when the cloud of God's glory, is in chapter 34 and verse 5, the Lord did. He, he descended in the, the cloud, that physical presence of God, like a cloud of shimmering radiance, and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. This is, he's now showing Moses his glory. And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed this. He's showing him his glory, which is his goodness. And it says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping his covenant loving-kindness for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. It goes on. Do, 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 you, do you hear what I'm saying? The sum total of God's glory is his goodness. And his goodness is faceted 
in every expression of his love and his covenant-keeping love. Wow. No wonder the Psalms say it again and again, don't they? The whole earth is filled with his glory. Wherever you turn, you see little pointers, little arrows that point to the glory of God, the goodness of God, the love of God toward us, his care, his generosity. The Lord, creator, contemplated all that he had made, and he said, it's very good. And he rested, contemplating satisfied. That is, he said, there's nothing more to do. Please hear me. Hear me now. He looked at all that he had made and he said, it's complete. It couldn't be any better. There's nothing to add. There's nothing more to do. It is enough to satisfy perfection to satisfy wisdom. It's enough. It's done. It's complete. It's finished. Everything that love determined to do in the creation of you and I and the whole planet which was brought into being for our delight, our nourishment, and also that we might have adventures in discovering our own wonder, for so much of his wonders he hid in the earth. He didn't hide it from us. He hid it there for us, a sort of treasure hunt. He said, there's a whole bunch of stuff in the earth, go find it. And, and, and so we discovered our own wonder made in his image, that we could go and discover and make things to help us discover and discover and discover and find then what to do with what we discovered. Oh, the whole thing is such beauty. It all fits together. It's all one great song of the glory of God. But I say, and I've been saying, that the, the peak of that, the... The, 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 the one that it was all made for. You, you might say the first five and a half days of creation, um, that, that, that was making the nursery. And then on the afternoon of the sixth day, we bring mankind into being and place him in this incredible, glory-filled place, planet Earth. It was all made for us. Every bird was told to sing. So we would have a constant backdrop of an orchestra. Even crickets had to join in the night choir. And the flowers, they, their colors were healing colors. Their smell was healing smells. Even the sky above, blue is a healing color. Oh, yes, and there right in the middle is humankind, and it says that we are made in the image, in the likeness of God. Image. When you, when you look into a mirror, you see your image, and so the idea of image is there's an original. If, if it's still the mirror we're talking about, you're the original, and you see your image in the mirror. And so mankind, and I'm talking about you, 
mankind, we were created to be the mirror image of God. Only we're, we're not ju just glazed glass. We're, we, we just don't mirror in that sense. To mirror this incredible God, we mirror him in relationship. It's a relational mirroring. Uh, and so we are brought in, into union with him. And so that here I am, here I am, I, I am this incredible, I keep using the word, but it, we are incredible, astonishing, amazing. I am a spirit. I mean, God's class, but I am in and totally in a, a body of mud. Have you ever thought of that? This is the glory of God, that he put a spirit into a body of mud. And it's in this spirit in mud that therein you find what we call humanity. And God said, I, I, I was going to say he gets a kick out of it. That, that's the kind of God I envision. He, he, he's really excited that his glory shall be imaged. He, unbegun, limitless God, shall be united with, with this spirit in mud. God's glory seen in and through the mud of a human body. We were created out of the dust of the earth, you might remember. And that union would be made a reality through God the Son, the Creator. And man's only part was to trust. This God who created him is everything that he ever shall need, whose glory is the only reality. Trust him. And this union is what mankind was to be. And, and in that union, mankind was everything. I'm weighing my words here. Mankind was everything that God had purposed and intended that he should be in creation. That means there's nothing to add to mankind. Man, woman, nothing to add. God says, good, very good. Enough. Another stroke of the brush and it will spoil the picture. Every, everything that you ever need in this union with God it's everything you need to fulfill the purpose of your creation, the meaning of your life, to, to bring to pass the blueprint by which you were created. You were created to be, number one, a creature, a spirit in mud, the most incredible, there I go again, the most amazing piece of mud that's been fashioned and formed into ligaments and muscles and veins and arteries and organs and but made also that God himself 
shall dwell within and be expressed within, and mankind shall be his full free self in union with and in submission, happy, happy submission to the God who loves him. Man's glory, mankind's glory was to image God's glory. And God looked at mankind and said, it's enough. For everything we purposed it to be, everything we wanted it to be, th this is it. And so God rested. Rested, as I say again, like an artist, contemplating his most perfect work. And he did that on the seventh day. So, so that means, does it not, mankind was brought into being on the afternoon of the sixth day. So the first day of Adam's conscious existence was that he was to rest with God. Whatever adventure his future held, it began by rest. Come and sit by me, says God. Contemplate my creation and be delighted with me. Enter into my satisfaction, my enough. Rest with me. And you are to punctuate the days of your life every seventh day, he said. You, you are to sit down and contemplate my enoughness. Not only my goodness and my glory, but that that glory has produced enough. You, my little chap, are enough. You, my little daughter, you are enough. You please me. You delight me. You are beautiful. Go and establish this glory throughout the earth. Bring forth a whole race of image bearers. Rest it. A day of celebrating the enoughness and the completeness and the doneness of all that God made. Enter into, snuggle down in his satisfaction. And you are part of his satisfaction. Get into his delight. Rejoice with him. And you are part of his rejoicing. Join him in his rest. And then, of course, when you start off the week, on the following day, you, you go into it with a tremendous sense of, I'm ready for anything because the everything and the complete one and the enough one dwells in me and I in him. And so I'm ready for anything you get the picture. This is what, this, we, we've only got to the end of chapter one and first, beginning of chapter two of the creation story. But it begins by, can, can I, huh, there's no words in my mind right now to say that the intensity with which God says you begin and you work from and you work toward rest. I am your enough. And you came forth from my hand and you are enough. And I in you and you in me show forth my glory.
enough. So you begin. That's the that, that's where your your whole week begins. On the seventh day you rest and you move through until the end of the week, which you're moving toward rest from rest. Always with a sense that all the strength you need, all the wisdom you need, everything you need, you are not only surrounded by love, upheld by love, but indwelt by love and live from love. There. Revel in him. And in reveling in this glorious God of goodness and love and wisdom, the God who is pro-you, who likes you, he's on your side. Revel in him. And at the same time, as you look at him, you see that you are his reflection on earth, that he has deigned to join himself to you. And so you know yourself. You, you know you're, you are valued. You have worth. You, you're astonishing. You're amazing. And, of course, you did nothing to deserve that. Of course, you just came fresh from the hand of your Creator. You, you breathe by His gift. You're here. You exist by gift. And that gift is to be the one in whom he shall live, move, and have his being as you live, move, and have your being in him. Wouldn't it be marvelous if that's where the Bible ended? But uh, that, you see, what I've just said, cannot just sort of be, because it is relationship. That's another key word, and all I can do is make reference. But... It's relationship. And relationship demands two persons in relationship. And the essence of relationship is trusting the love that is being poured out to you. And that trust has got to be established. It's not just a sort of breeze that passes through us. Trust. I choose to trust such a God, such a plan, such a purpose. I choose to trust. And that's why God planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the abundance of goodness. It was the tree where mankind would take a gigantic leap in terms of it being established in that which is. For at that tree, they are going to choose to trust in this God that has revealed himself in a million different ways as being love and wisdom and goodness and kindness and so on. They are going to say yes. They are going to say amen. Yes, that is. God is the only reality and him I trust. And the union, the relationship is established. And it was simple. You don't go there, says the Lord. That, that's where you trust me. 
whatever draw you might feel toward that tree, whatever anyone says about that tree, let my word reign supreme. Don't touch it. Because where that tree leads, there's no door to come back. You enter into something that is unlife, unreal, death. And to that tree, Satan comes. Now, it's very unfortunate. I'm probably going to upset some people here, but the, the, the phrase original sin. In fact, even in, in this time in our history, the, the word sin itself is unfortunate because I, I've asked a lot of people, what, was, what is this that you call original sin? What, what is it? And I, I've got the most amazing things. I, the, the, it's, it's basically saying that Satan tempted this couple to sort of uh, smoke or drink or tell a lie or two or, oh, come on. The, the, those, that, that area that you're talking about, that, that, that's way down the line, way, it's out of sight at this point. No, what, what was, what is the sin? Hear me now, this is vital. What is the sin that happened in the Garden of Eden at which point the door slammed behind them and there was no handle to get out? Not that they wanted out because whatever happened caused such an intense and deep blindness and deafness and confusion that mankind never thought of getting out of his condition. Satan, this is, this is what, what happened there. It was Satan contradicting God's rest. I'm weighing every word I say here. Satan contradicted God's evaluation of the creation. God said, it is so good that all there is to do now is rest in contemplation, give praise to such a God, to revel in such a creation, to delight in your own completeness, which fell from my hands and voice. Satan came and says, are you sure? Hath God said? I mean, I mean are, you, are you sure about this? That evaluation. Let, let me tell you, um, there is something missing. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I know. He didn't tell you. Maybe he's jealous of what you might become. Who knows? But then, you don't trust him, do you? Don't be daft. No, you're, it's time you, you two just sat up and realized how magnificent you are without him. No, no, you've got to think about this. 
There is something missing, you know. Something's missing. You, you don't mean, I mean, look at you. You don't mean to say that this is it, do you? You don't, you don't really mean that you're good enough. You're... <laughs> no, no, no. Did, did he tell you that you were finished? You're like a half-baked pudding. No, no, you're not finished yet. No, the, the completion of you, the addition to you of that which is missing, you've got to supply that, you see. God isn't going to. In fact, in, in my opinion, said Satan, it looks as if he's hiding it from you, you know. Got to be suspicious of him. He's not as wise as he thinks he is. He's certainly not as generous and as loving as he says he is. He tarnishes the glory of God. He shoots arrows of suspicion concerning God's intention. No, he lied to you when he says everything was very good. And when he rested, it was because he didn't want you to get any further than you are. No. Look, he told you not to eat of the treat. No, no, look. You see, that's the key. I'm the bearer of truth, but you've got to take the key. And in the eating of that tree, you will not die. That's a bald-faced lie. No. Take the tree. And in that taking of the tree, you shall be as gods in yourself. You will need him. You will find all meaning, all purpose, all of life within yourself. And you will have the knowledge of good and evil. You'll call the shots. You will say what's good. You'll say when it's enough. Yeah. You'll say when something's beautiful. Don't listen to him. He, remember, he says you were good. Forget that. No, no, no. You're not enough. I'm sorry, chaps, but you're not enough. You're incomplete. You're insufficient. Eat of the tree. You'll become enough. And, and, and you, will, you will be able to say this is good, this is evil. Because you'll be the center of the universe and you will determine this is good because I like it. This is good because it makes me feel good. And this is evil because it upsets my plans. You see, you'll, you'll be the center. You'll determine all of this. When Eve took of the fruit of the tree and when Adam took it from her... That was an act, shall I carefully say, of cosmic disobedience. It was an act of cosmic rebellion. It was the ultimate act of distrusting God who is love and exalting the created self above the one who created above his wisdom, above his goodness and love and compassion. and It's all about my independence. And I look at life now through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and I will determine this is good, this is bad. 
I, I, I determine. <laughs> I determine when it's a good day. I determine when it's a bad day. I determine when it's a good thing or a bad thing. All passes through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, of course, life becomes the pursuit of good as I understand it. Huh. I mean, you see, that then there's other human beings show up and they don't see good the way I see good. So I've got to cut them off. My good is good. Don't want them around. And sometimes it gets so intense, I'll destroy them. In the name of good, of course, you understand we've got to have it good. Yeah. They're evil because they don't see my good. But then I see others, and in my secret heart I say they're more good than I am. And then I hate them because they're more good than I am. I've got to cut them off too. This is the seducing journey into death and unreality that Satan pointed to. He never forced them. He simply seduced them, deceived them. Oh, the adventure. He was telling them, you think this is home? You think there's abundance of trees and fruit and, and, and your miserable little body? You think that's... You think that's it? You think this is home? No, this isn't home. You've got to leave home to find home. That's weird. The man left the beauty, the glory, the abundance and plunged into a desert world trying to find home when he was created with... It's like the people... I remember especially back in the 60s and... People would go tramping off around the world to find themselves. Is that a funny expression? Did I find myself? I, who's the I that's looking for I? But that's the confusion straight from the pit of Satan's belly. A great lie. You're not enough. You're no good. You have no value. You have no worth. You've got to go and find yourself. You've got to go and find the expression of you that shall make you like God, perfect, wise. And of course, whenever the tree of the knowledge of good and evil gets in the hand of the religious folks, then you see all hell break loose. Because there's no more damnable place on earth than a little group of people saying, we are good and you are evil. Every war in the world today is fought around people with the spectacles on that see life through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mankind lost the glory of God. As soon as he did this, he felt a stripped of all the radiance and the beauty and the wonder. Lost the image. He no longer imaged God. He imaged himself, even though in the mercy of God he still lived with a body that is the most incredible body on earth. But now he's totally inward. It's self-evaluating. Am I good enough? That's No, no. I, I still hear you. The Satan saying, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Well, I'm trying hard. I'm really working at what I believe, I think, maybe is good. And maybe when I'm 60 years old, I realize I was wrong at 20. It wasn't good at all. 
good, good enough, am I good enough, I'm no good, I'm unworthy, I'm no good. <laughs> and I evaluate myself, my good, by looking at others. And some that are especially blind say, I thank you, O God, I'm not as other men, I'm gooder than them. And we define ourselves by circumstances. And so when people seem stronger than us, and we say, I'm like a grasshopper in their sight. And mankind invented another God. They had to, because what was happening now didn't fit the real God. So they invented a God. A God was a projection of their own brains, looking through the lens of the knowledge of good and evil. Therefore, it was a God who judged your performance, who evaluated you by how much good you can do. And of course, you were never enough. You were always guilty and always ashamed. And that was your idea of God, that he's always mad at me. He's always irritated. He's always annoyed. And I'm trying hard. And I join myself to the religious folk. And they give me a long list of good to do. And so on and so on. And into that mess of death and darkness and blindness and confusion, Jesus comes. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the creator, the son of God, God the son, whose voice it is you hear in Genesis 1. The creator came into his creation and assume to himself our humanity. God had a body of mud. And for the first time on this planet, there walked a 100% authentic human being who was the image of God, for he is God. And so... 100% God, but limited himself because he loved us to our human and our human body. And in that humanity, using our language spoken through human voice box, speaking to what human eyes saw, the man who is God, who is the ultimate image of God revealed what the real God was like. He revealed the glory of his Father, and he imaged that to perfection so that he was the love and the goodness and the kindness of God walking and making footprints in the sand. And religion especially hated him because he exposed them as an empty fraud. He sucked out the oxygen of religion because he did away with guilt and he did away with shame. And he looked into the eyes of those who were the castaways and said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And he walks a genuine human being as human beings were always intended to. You see, sin is not natural to the human. Please understand that. 
See, I know if you go back, this original sin and sort of sin nature that even gets into some translations of the Bible. It never should, never should. There's no word like that in the Greek language. No, sin is more like a parasite. Sin is more like some hideous virus from the pit of Satan. One that causes instant blindness and deafness and brain confusion and... It's what I'm trying to say is sin is the add-on. Sin is indeed the parasite. Sin doesn't belong with human. Jesus is a hundred percent human without the parasite, and he walks among us, and he reveals to us what's simple: trust in God his father looks like that his father was enough for every situation he's enough he's enough wisdom he's enough strength he's enough love not only that i know he loves me but enough to love all that i touch and what do you know satan came to tempt him just the same way satan can be very boring sometimes never gets a new idea Do you remember there at the River Jordan when Jesus was 30-something and the voice from the heavens came from the Father who looked down and contemplated this human Jesus who is God incarnate, who is the image of God, who is everything man was ever intended to be. And the Father looked at him and said this, You are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. The word of the Father. And Jesus trusts that word. It was enough. His identity has not only risen from within him, but now is witnessed to by the Father himself. And he goes into the wilderness for six weeks. And Satan meets with him. Well, actually, Jesus went to meet with Satan and challenge him. But the first word, do you remember? Jesus, six weeks of fasting, and it says he was hungry. Actually, that's a medical statement. You can fast for six weeks and you won't be hungry until the 40th day or so. Jesus was hungry in a desolate desert, Quite unlike the Garden of Eden where the first Adam screwed it all up. Hungry in a vast wilderness, Satan came. Now listen, listen to this. Satan said, if you are the son of God. Oh, oh, who brought that up? The father, six weeks before had announced to Jesus, gave him the ultimate witness of heaven, that you, the man, Jesus, you are the Son of God. Satan looks at him and says, If, if, were you listening right? Did that voice really say that? I mean, look at you, gaunt, half-starved, you poor creature. You look like a need of a square meal, if you're the son of God. 
Why, uh, you, you, you need to prove it, don't you? You need, I mean, let, let's face it, right now you're being the Son of God because he said so. That's not enough. You need some proof, man. You're starving. You need food. If you're the Son of if there's any truth to what he said, what? Uh, turn these stones into bread. Then, then you'll have some evidence that you're the Son of God. Do you see what he was saying? What Father said is not enough. He made a complete definitive statement, but that's not enough. You're not the Son of God until you've done something. And Jesus responded, man does not live by bread alone. I don't have to have bread to prove anything. I live, mankind was created to live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. There you have it. He said, I don't have to do. It's done. It's finished. It's enough. I am who Father says I am. My food, my sustenance, my Father's enough. I live by what he says. And he carried that obedience to do what Father's love willed and intended, that he who created the human race, who has now joined us and owns the body of the human race, put his arms around every member of the human race. I mean every member of the human race. He embraced us. And he says, we're going to death. We're ending this. And I am going to absorb that death for you and as you. And he entered into the domain of death. He came right there face to face with Satan, the originator of death. And his obedience to the Father, the first time that in that darkness had ever been any who obeyed the Father. Everybody there was because of disobedience, but this one, who is equal to and worth everyone, this one stands in the darkness of death, in the foul breath of Satan, by obedience. Obedience! The Father sent him there to bring us out. And his one great obedience cancelled the disobedience of Adam and his progeny. And the father raised him from the dead, announcing death itself is dead. Satan has been stripped of his authority and the guilt of man taken by the shed blood of Jesus, cleansed. Jesus stepped out of the tomb, a human being with a body that was now radiant with glory, with life that couldn't die. Good had triumphed. And he stepped out of that tomb into the abundance of life that God had always intended for mankind. And the Father rested and Jesus on the cross in the middle of all that had said it is finished it's done it is enough 
and the Father affirmed that by raising him from the dead. And as Jesus steps out of the tomb, having taken mankind, and more to the point, taken you, taken me, through into death, and then raising us with him, a new creation, a new Genesis 1. Only this time the Creator Himself got inside the human race and created, recreated us, restored us, renewed us from the inside. And He carried us out of death. He did it. It's finished. I mean, can you, can you get it? It's finished. It's done. The Father said, I rest. Not another stroke of the brush. Not another chip of the chisel. Not another nail. It's done. It is perfect. The wisdom of God that could bring mankind back from death and restore to what he was intended. And to join him to that Jesus, so the one who is the image of God in the human is now imaged in us through relationship, through trust. It's done. Huh. And when he ascended, or when he stepped into the other half of the universe and sat down, and the Bible makes a big thing of that, he sat down because he's finished. Look, come to me, said Jesus, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Aren't you sick and tired of religion that says it isn't finished? And so we'll admire Jesus, we'll speak highly of Jesus, but now let's get down to business. This is what you've got to do, because that's not quite enough. Do I hear a, a voice behind the voice saying, hath God said? You go to religion and what's it tell you week after week? You're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. You're not worthy. Try harder. Dedicate more. Rededicate dedication because you're not enough. Hmm. But the Father sees you join to Jesus and he says, my son in whom I am well pleased enough enough it is done it is finished i rest and i rest and i keep learning to rest all through life because when i find myself confronted by enemies stronger than myself he is enough the lord is my strength and when i go to my work he is my wisdom he's the strength of my hands and the strength of my mind he's enough and when I would be his love in the midst of the world, he's enough. And I don't compare myself to others. I listen to him who says that I, in Christ, am the body of Christ, the delight of the Father. That's how it is. Faith. Faith is resting in his rest. If Father says that what Jesus did and is doing is enough. Then faith says, Amen. I rest. Oh, come on. How many times are you going to try and be enough for God? 
How many times are you going to dedicate yourself and hope that this time it was enough? The dedication of Jesus on your behalf as an offering to the Father was enough. And when Jesus came out of the tomb, a new creation came into being where this Adam had crushed the serpent and said an everlasting no to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and brought us to the tree of life. Well, and that becomes the platform for action because I know that in these last seconds of what I'm saying, I can almost hear you saying that Malcolm Smith says you don't have to do anything. Oh, give me a break. You know better than that. You realize when you know, when you have the witness in yourself that what Jesus has done, who he is, the Father said that's enough. You are accepted. You have the assurance. You live boldly face to face with the Father and hear him say of you that you are his beloved. <laughs> Half your problems, well actually all your problems are over at that point. But now I turn to my world, and in his love in me, I love. In the reality in whom I stand, I put away lying and speak truth. My whole behavior changes, not in order to do enough, but because Jesus was enough. Now I am free to celebrate this love in whom I live and move and have my being. Okay, it's going to take another week. Look, let me read this to you. Zephaniah 3.17. It's one of those books you'll search forever, but it's there at the end of the Old Testament. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God in your midst or dwelling within you, the mighty one, he will save. Yes, he was the mighty one that blew Satan's darkness to pieces. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be silent in his love, which would mean that he's, I say this very reverently and carefully, but he is so in love with you. It's beyond words. He just gazes at you in love, in the silence of your total acceptance. He rejoices over you with gladness. In silent delight, he views you with love. And then he will rejoice. He'll shout over you with singing. That's you he's speaking of. That's his rest. He's got, he says, I'll remember your sins no more. Of course, they've been dealt with. I don't keep bringing it up. He's rested. It's done. It's over. It's finished. Join him into his rest. Our rest is no longer the seventh day. Our rest is the person of the day. Jesus is our rest. And we've entered into the glory of God and there we rest. We rest in who he is and who he is is made manifest in us. What a salvation. My time is over and gone. Now the blessing of God who is 
who is ultimate goodness, who is almighty love, bless you. Open your ears, open your eyes, bring order and harmony to your mind that you might revel in his rest concerning you. So I bless you, and so it is.